All right. Here we are with season four, episode 20. Yes, we are in our 20s now of JV to the Pros. Lots going on. Some fun stuff. Some very serious stuff on today's show. Um, usually, I, I, I goof on what's going on in the news. I usually have a lot of fun with the seriousness of what's going on. But this week, I'm going to have to circle back to finding the humor within the show and the crazy that's uh, going on around us because uh, I got to start on a serious note as I embark on discussing what unfolded in a place none of us would have known where it is. I mean, except for the fact that tragedy was centered there. I'm talking about Uvalde, Texas, near San Antonio and Corpus Christi, Texas. Now, this is a, a tiny town in a state that is so huge that it could it could be its own country. As a matter of fact, a, a, a mildly interesting fact, Texas is so large that the population of the entire world can fit inside the state of Texas. Yeah, seven and a half billion people can fit in the state of Texas. That's how big Texas is. Now, back to the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. An 18-year-old boy, because at 18, few can be classified as men just yet, but this 18-year-old posted on social media because social media is what almost all young people do before they eat a meal, vacuum the carpet, take out the garbage, go to the store. They post their thoughts, decisions, and plan pattern or plan of what they're about to do before they do it because it must be announced on social media. I don't know why this is what younger people do, but they, they do in every aspect of every move of everything they do in their life this is what they do so this young man posted on social media that he planned to kill his grandmother and then he did it by shooting her in the face with a weapon he purchased just after he turned 18 he purchased two automatic weapons shortly after turning 18 now he purchased both these guns three days apart, along with more than 350 rounds of ammunition, and nobody at the store raised an eyebrow as to why this brand new 18-year-old needed two automatic weapons within three days of each other. I understand that automatic weapons dispense bullets at a rapid rate. I get that so that the 350 rounds of ammo wasn't that unusual because people in Texas purchase hundreds of rounds of ammo at a time. But why is he purchasing two of these guns in a three-day span? I mean, Texas has very relaxed, and I use the word relaxed very loosely, laws when it comes to purchasing weapons. And after spending time in Texas recently, I came to the conclusion that people in Texas, mostly the men of Texas, but not exclusively the men, take great pride in the fact that they have own or and 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 they have at their disposal many guns. It, it seems like the more guns you have, the more macho you are or the more threatening you are in the event that someone even gives some thought to breaking into your home or business. I have guns and plenty of them. That just seems to be the call of many Texans. <laughs> the topic of gun ownership came up more than 30 times in five days while I was there. And I, I'm not talking about conversations with family or friends. I'm talking about strangers in grocery stores or, or at public functions. People there are so proud that they're quote-unquote packing. They also take great pride in their knowledge of guns in, in general, but especially their own guns. Guns say something about their personality and, and give them 
credibility on some level. The recent mass shooting in which this very disturbed young man shot and killed 19 students at this school, Robb Elementary School, along with two educators. He took these guns he bought without any background check whatsoever, and he killed his grandmother by shooting her in the face after making a public announcement on social media. Then, after killing his grandmother, alerted on social media that he planned to go to the school and kill everyone there with his new guns. <sighs> he was in communication with a woman in Germany, uh, I believe, um, in which he shared with her what his plans were. And she did try to alert someone as to what's about to happen, but was unsuccessful in detouring this young man from his intentions. Robb Elementary School was the latest site of yet another mass shooting in America. Obviously, this 18-year-old didn't attend Rob Elementary School, so it appears that he just wanted to shoot helpless targets in which he had a gigantic advantage. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has continued to defend the gun lobbyists that put him in office and the gun industry that put him in office by saying that this young man would have passed any background check and have gotten his hands on these guns no matter what. Abbott also declared that there, there were no warning signs that this man was about to do what he's done. Basically, Greg Abbott has thrown up his hands saying, oh well, well, there is proof that if, if giving a cooling off period, often people calm down and change their minds. In cases in which emotionally charged breakups or divorces, there are times when one of the couple will apply for a gun permit in the heat of it all. Well, in California, there's a 14-day cooling off period, which often puts that person in a position to discuss their plans with a close friend or family member and they realize that as hurt as they are this is not a good idea and they back off on that irrational plan to quote unquote get even and they let it go in texas they are proud of the fact that you can buy a gun like you're buying bread stockpile guns all you want and all you can afford bullets galore well this shooting which, by the way, 150 days into 2022 is the 200th shooting this year in America. Yes, 200 shootings in America this year. I mean, specifically, when this shooting took place, we were 144 days into 2022. And we have more than 200 shootings in America. And when I say shootings, I mean mass shootings in which five or more people are shot. Now, think about what I'm saying, people. Although not all shootings are publicized or even given media coverage like this one in Uvalde, Texas, there have been 200 shootings in America in 144 days. You know, this is a, a uniquely American problem and concern. Other countries don't have this ongoing problem, and if they if they do have a shooter, it's rare. It's it's not more than one a day in other countries. The young and disturbed young man's name is Salvador Ramos. He would ultimately be killed by a border patrol agent that showed up on scene in a heroic move, did not wait for backup and stormed the building and killed Mr. Ramos as he was continuing to look for victims. This officer is a hero because that was a gutsy move facing a shooter with two semi-automatic weapons. Now, we know the Border Patrol doesn't carry automatic weapons, so he's firing one bullet at a time and he killed this threat. So. That's the barely bright side of all of this. 
in that there could have easily been more victims had this man not been take not taken action and not been taken out if uh, this Ramos guy had not been killed. I um the dark side of this whole story are reports coming out of Uvalde, Texas that um, say some of the reports are confirmed, some not yet confirmed, that since this is a very small town in which everyone basically knows everyone, and if you live in Uvalde, Texas, you work in Uvalde, Texas, as did the teachers at Robb Elementary School, as well as law enforcement, they live and work in that town of Uvalde. Well, reports are surfacing that police showed up on scene with an active shooter inside the building. And those police were finding and grabbing their own children out of the school and leaving other students behind. Now, if this is verified, there must be criminal charges filed against these officers that selfishly only worried about their own children. I, for one, am hoping for this to just be speculation or exaggeration at best. There have been, however, more news reports that have come out that some of the children who were trapped inside the school were using their cell phones to call police and ask for help. And the lead officer on scene had 19 officers stand down, claiming the shooter was held up inside and armed. When in fact, children were calling and calling the police for help. Come in, help us. Well, 19 officers are standing outside and 19 children were killed inside. And this is all because the lead officer, who by the way, a couple of days after the shooting, was scheduled to be promoted to a city council position. That's a whole other story. It wasn't until an elite group of Border Patrol agents stormed the building and took the shooter down, forcing this insanity to come to a stop. You know, there are witnesses that claim this is exactly what happened. The officers are waiting on the orders of their lead officer while the Border Patrol did not follow orders and went in and took care of things. Also, they're claiming that officers arriving on the scene were looking for and finding their own children to get them out of harm's way while other children were left behind. And parents of those children were being held back from storming into the building to get their own children. This is unconscionable. I'm sure this investigation will take months to conclude before the facts are certified. In the meantime... There will be another hundred shootings in America from main cities to small town America to spots few of us have ever heard of. This, this country will become a land of, of memorials dedicated to the victims of mass shootings. I also would like to point out that in the 10 years since the Sandy Hook shooting, there has not been one single piece of legislation passed through Congress limiting the buying of guns or slowing down that process so that someone with red flags can be stopped from buying guns. There has not been one single law passed that holds up the process through background checks or some sort of screening for mental health issues before being able to buy a gun. The NRA and the gun lobbyists have spent more than $15 million just last year keeping an eye on any possibility of such legislation because when there is a mass shooting, gun sales go through the roof. Yeah, think about that, people. My theory on this is that I believe playing video games like Grand Theft Auto, for an example, or, or games similar to that, are desensitizing us more and more from shooting to shooting. There's a shooting, we are shocked, we cry, we mourn, we send our prayers and wishes to the families, and we wait for the next shooting.
I understand the purpose of the Second Amendment. I probably understand it better than most people. Most people think the Second Amendment is in place to protect your family from intruders. Not true. The Second Amendment, the Second Amendment is in place to protect the people from our own government. This is an amendment because it protects us from tyranny, which is why we left England to start all over again right here in America. We are allowed to bear arms so that we can keep our government from being able to have an upper hand over the people and be able to slaughter us at will if they choose to. Our right to bear arms is not in place to give anyone the opportunity to live out their video game fantasy of killing people in masses. The one thing our forefathers didn't count on is the mental health factor at the time. I'd like to also point, point out that in the wake of this tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, the NRA had an annual convention in which their keynote speakers, you know, were, were pro-gun and tons of guns for sale. And this was scheduled to be held in Houston. That's about 300 miles from Uvalde, Texas, in which Donald J. Trump was the main speaker while gun sales were, again, going through the roof. Also, the NRA ran a print ad of a toddler not quite old enough to be able to quite walk just yet, playing with an automatic weapon on the floor. He's examining it with complete curiosity, as a little child will do, and the, the ad, although it has since been pulled since the shooting, has a tagline of something along the lines of, start em young. I, even without the shooting, I think this is appalling. I know that many people think Ronald Reagan was a great president, and, and he wasn't bad, and at times he was pretty good actor turned politician and being elected to the highest office in California as governor and then running for and winning the presidency of the United States. Pretty impressive. He used his, his acting skills and abilities to win over the press at press conferences and, you know, he had anecdotes and Hollywood stories and jokes. But one extremely crucial mistake he made in his first term in office that, that many people have forgotten is that in an effort to prepare for re-election in 1984, his Republican Party wanted to make the economy look better than it actually was so that people would feel comfortable spending and generating money. So, you know, we just came out of a recession with the Carter administration, so they wanted to give this a big boost. So Ronald Reagan authorized pulling all the funding for those requiring mental health monitoring, mental health medicine, mental health counseling, and for their own safety and the safety of the community, mental health confinement. Ronald Reagan claimed that it would be fine as, quote, society will absorb these troubled souls. Well, Ronald Reagan couldn't have been more wrong I mean, sure, his administration looked very good for both his terms, as he, he also turned his back on the AIDS crisis to save money and let Americans continue to just spend away. Well, it would be about nine years before this problem would gather momentum and start getting in the news regularly. Reagan left office in 89, and we were in the 90s and noticing that there were more and more and more shootings across America. Before Reagan became president, the mass shooting that stood out was the guy, a former Marine, who went up in a tower in Texas in 1966 and after shooting his wife, began shooting and picking off innocent victims on the ground who had no idea where the bullets were coming from. Now that was 1966. That shooting shocked this country.
today, that shooting might not even make the news. Now, I understand Ronald Reagan was, was playing the politics game by doing what he thought he should do to stay in office and, and keep Republicans in power longer because that's how the game is played. But the consequences from that one stroke of the pen have been incalculable over the following decades. Those that endorsed that move by Ronald Reagan and those that continue to ignore the ramifications of that signed order by the president have blood on their hands that could never be cleaned up. The one, one last thing I have to say on this matter is, yeah, it's true. Guns don't fire themselves. People fire guns. This enormous issue with mental health in America must be addressed nationally. Funding for mental health must become a priority. I'm sorry that Ukraine is being attacked, but frankly, I think the countries surrounding Ukraine should be funding that resistance, not the U.S. That's just my opinion. The United States has issues here that the $800 million that they sent to Ukraine could make a dent in the problem. We threw a trillion dollars at the Afghanistan issue for 20 years and then just ran away from it all, leaving those we were fighting against with our tanks, weapons, ammo, and basically all they'll need to become a force in the world and, and threaten those around us. We've got troubles right here in America that, we're, that, we're, that are much more urgent than dealing with Russia invading Afghanistan or attacking Ukraine. Also, we don't need to invite the world to America as a safe place to run while your country is being attacked. We're under attack right, right here, right now. And that attack is from those that aren't within their mental faculties. I mean, that's what's going on here, folks. You know, we've got, we've got people that are just out of their mind. They need mental help, and they're not getting it because there's nothing available. Now, I'll get off my soapbox for a little while, but I am not done with this problem, not by a long shot. We here at JV to the Pros are offended and furious about this latest shooting and the way it was handled by those in place to protect the community, i.e. the police. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of stop there and, um, and we will revisit this because um, as we're doing this show, there's um, a news flash going on that apparently there's been another mass shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma at a medical facility and the details are sketchy but you know that didn't take long <sighs> well <clears throat> let's take a little break and um, talk about something that'll make you feel good I'd like to talk to you about one of our uh, longtime sponsors Rob Van Dam's CBD oil at rvdcbd.com I use this oil. Actually, it's really a, a cream that soaks into your skin on the areas that you want relief from. I've used Rob Van Dam's CBD oil for a few years now, and my pain relief has been very quick, and it doesn't give me a false sense of feeling better you know, than, than I should. I, I don't feel better than I should, but, but instead it, it softens that feeling of soreness and, and achy muscles and joints. I know it gives me that, that edge I need to recover. You know, it, it, it kind of keeps my body from being so traumatized from, you know, the, the soreness. And, you know, hey, I'm getting older. I get it. But I do love this stuff. You go to rvdcbd.com and put JV to the pros in the promo box and save yourself at least 10% on your purchase. I have many friends and family members that use this product and they have thanked me for turning them on to this natural pain relief cream for lower backs, joints, muscles, etc. Go to rvdcbd.com. rvdcbd.com.
RobVanDamCBD.com, RVDCBD.com, and let us know on our Facebook page how much you love this product. Rob Van Dam has, has been a friend of the show and a friend of mine for years now, and we're proud to share this product with you. Also, Rob Van Dam is a Hall of Fame WWE wrestler that invented this for your pain and soreness relief. It keeps you active and it keeps you from being in pain. Can't ask for a better deal than that, right? Now, let's move on to the NBA championships as we venture into sports. The West was decided last week as the Warriors blew through an overmatched Dallas Mavericks team and they have been waiting to find out who's coming out of the East. Well, Miami and Boston would battle for the East, and that series would go seven games, in which Game 7 would be played in Miami to obviously a full house. Boston jumped out in the first quarter to a 17-point lead. They were up 34-17 over Miami, but the Heat wouldn't go quietly into that good night and fought and fought back. The Celtics couldn't shake the Heat all night. The Celtics the Celtics had an 11-point lead late in the fourth quarter, but Miami didn't roll over and got within two. Boston marched down the court for their last drive, and to put the game away with just about any basket will do the trick, but missed. And Game 7 superstar Jimmy Butler grabbed the rebound, and with about 15 seconds left on the clock, took off the other way. Jimmy is a layup king, and the Celtics knew this as they backed up waiting for Jimmy Butler to storm the key, only to have Butler hit the brakes at the three-point line with about seven feet between he and the nearest Celtics defender and took a clear three-point shot for the win and bonked the front of the rim only to have Boston grab the rebound and throw the ball as high as possible so the clock would run out while the ball was in flight. Sure, Jimmy Butler would have been a hero had he nailed that three, but not taking the layup for the tie and force overtime seemed to be, in hindsight, the smarter move. Butler dropped 35 points in Game 7 only to come up just that short and end the heat season in heartbreak you know this was a great series but in my opinion miami was the better team with more talent and more clutch players that just they just opened the door a bit too much for boston and didn't show up until about halfway through the second quarter when the heat you know when the heat turned up and the heat got within seven um, by halftime a remarkable, you know, comeback in that game after being down 17. At halftime, the Heat, they were only down seven at, at the half. But um, Boston should have, they should have been up by 20 at halftime. But at one point toward the end of the game, I think um, Miami missed nine shots in a row, nine clean shots in a row, which obviously would have put the game away. Anyway, Miami showed heart and persistence, but gave away the first quarter in a move that would cost them a chance to play for it all against the Warriors in the West. Now, the Warriors have gotten rested, waiting for this series to wrap up, as they are now three-point favorites in Game 1. The championship series will begin in Sacramento, as the best of seven will decide who, finish, who finishes their season with a win and who comes up short? Now let's move on to the NHL. The Tampa Bay Lightning have, have been waiting for over a week for the Rangers and the Hurricanes to finish smashing each other into the boards for seven games while Tampa eliminated Florida in a quick four games. By the way, Tampa only gave up four goals in those four games, and Florida was considered to be the offensive team of the year, outscoring everybody. 
Keep that in mind as I go on with this story. This Hurricanes team is is more than interesting in, in, in that they set an all-time Stanley Cup playoff record by going seven games in each of the first two rounds of the playoffs in which the home team won all seven games in the first round and in six of the seven games in the second round against the Rangers, the home team would win every game. Well, the Hurricanes at home for game seven against the Rangers were hoping to break that record further, making it 14 straight home wins. Well, the old record was 11 games in a row with the home team winning each game. The Rangers, they get down to Raleigh, North Carolina with other plans. This streak has got to end sometime, and it might as well end at 13 in a row or the Rangers' season would be over. Well, the Rangers came out swinging with attitude and aggression and didn't give the Canes any breathing room, jumping out to a 3-0 lead quickly. And by the end of the second period, the Rangers had full control of this game. Antiranta, goalie for the Canes, did one of those splits moves that we've seen goalies do a million times when things get intense near the net. And Ranta twisted his right knee so badly that he couldn't move or get up, and he just laid there face down on the ice. Play was stopped, and he had to be helped off the ice, bringing in their backup rookie goalie. So his this rookie goalie for the Canes... Facing his first shot on goal from the Rangers, gave up a goal 45 seconds after he got into the game. The Rangers had swag, attitude, aggression, and they knew they had this. The Canes got a goal in the third, making it 4-1, to only to have the Rangers cancel that goal out moments later, making it 5-1. The Canes, to their credit, didn't quit and made it 5-2. Soon thereafter... They pulled their goalie for the extra skater to pressure the Rangers and start chipping away at the Rangers' lead, only to have the Rangers get loose and plop one in the empty net, making it 6-2, and that would be the final, as the Rangers are now facing Tampa Bay, the two-time defending champions in a best-of-seven series, starting on Wednesday, which gives the Rangers about 30 hours to celebrate before taking the ice against the Lightning. The Rangers, to their credit, are undefeated against the Tampa Bay Lightning in the regular season. But, as you know, this is not the regular season. This is the Stanley Cup playoffs where things change. Well, this man is predicting that the series goes only six. Rangers in six to represent the East in the Stanley Cup Finals. Now, let me tell you, um, I actually did this show yesterday and we had a power glitch and i thought the power glitch didn't affect the file of you know this show and little did i know that um when the power came back on (laughs) i was doing my sign off and tagline only to find out that's all that got recorded so i am actually doing the show after Game one between the Rangers and Tampa Bay at Madison Square Garden has been played. And this wasn't even close. In the entire series against Florida, Tampa Bay only gave up four goals. Well, in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Rangers scored six goals and beat Tampa Bay 6-2. to two. And when I tell you that 6-2 to two doesn't even accurately describe how unbalanced this game was, the Rangers dominated the Lightning. You would not have believed that the Lightning are two-time Stanley Cup defending champions because the Rangers were just that much better. Now... I say go Rangers, and I want you to hear what um, Ranger fans were chanting because they were announcing that um, that the goalies for the Rangers and Tampa Bay are the two best goalies on the planet. But 
Listen to this. Now they're chanting Igor, 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 and and that's really cool. But um, <laughs> the other thing that they were chanting, which was fantastic, was this. They're chanting, Igor's better. They actually began chanting that in the second period and chanted it all the way through the rest of the game. Igor's better. And when that didn't work, they just chanted, Igor. But they love chanting, Igor's better. <laughs> Igor's better. <laughs> you just got to love the New Yorkers. It's just fantastic. Anyway. We're going to talk a little bit of baseball. In the AL East, which is where we're going to start, my Yankees have a five-game lead over Tampa Bay. Yeah, another Tampa Bay team doing pretty well. The Yankees are 33-15. and 15. Now, I predicted the Yankees would win 40 before losing 16. I still feel that way. But former Yankees center fielder Billy Sample will be getting a call from me if the Yankees fail to do that because Billy doesn't think they can win 40 without losing more than 16. Okay, let's go to the AL Central. The Twins, yeah, they're 29-20, and 20, and they're still the only team in that division to be over 500 as they have a four-and-a-half game lead over the White Sox. By the way, the White Sox have come alive as of late. I mean... They're stringing wins together and playing pretty solid baseball. I mean, they're hitting their stride. But um, it means they might give the Twins a run for their money in that division. And they may even overtake the Twins. At the very least, the White Sox are the reason that that division is about to become interesting. In the AL West, the cheating Houston Astros, and the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles, but really are in Anaheim, California, of Orange County, south of L.A., not really L.A., but it's near Disneyland. The Astros and the Angels are only separated by four games, and the Angels are stepping up their game and, and waiting for the Astros to, to stumble even slightly to get them into a tug-of-war in that division. Like, I lean toward the Angels taking that division this season. I I think they're just built better than the Astros. I mean, I you know, I understand the Astros pitching, but, you know, it takes more than just pitching because it's not going to be all strikeouts. Plus, I think the Astros are cheaters and shouldn't be rewarded, just saying. In the National League... The superstar, New York Mets, my brother Richie's New York Mets, are playing winning baseball, and they should be dedicating their season to my loyal Mets fan, brother Richie, as he stands by his Mets year in and year out. And this, Met, this Mets team is, is a good team to stand with. The Mets are 33-17, and 17, winning two-thirds of their games, and they... they they have a strong enough bench to be able to rest guys once or twice a week as, as that talent that talent on the team is just so deep. Again, nobody else in that division is playing 500 ball, including the defending champion Braves, who, yeah, they're in second place, but it's a distant second place. And they, they, they can see the Mets if they use binoculars. In the NL Central... The team I'm keeping my eye on, the Milwaukee Brewers, they're playing great ball. They're not flashy. They're not loaded with household names, but they have stacked talent, and they are clutch. They keep winning and winning with a record of 32-18, and 18, which puts them in the conversation with the Mets and Yankees and, yes, the Dodgers. Speaking of the Dodgers in the NL West, the Dodgers are still trying to shake the Padres loose as, as the Padres are, are 
playing the kind of baseball meant for September and even October baseball. Usually the Padres, they play well until about the All-Star break, and then they trip, fumble, and error their way through the rest of the season, and they end up becoming sellers, and they just give away talent. I don't see that at all this year. This Padre team... They got tested this past week as the Padres, as the Padres, as the Pirates ran them down in a, in a game and caught the Padres in the top of the ninth. The Padres didn't score in the bottom of the ninth, but did hold off the Pirates long enough to tee off in the bottom of the tenth with a walk-off home run and keep pace chasing down the Dodgers. You know, this is not your father's Padre team at all. This Padre team is, is selling out at Petco Park without giveaways. They used to just sell out if they had towel night or binoculars or bobblehead. They, they are just selling out because they're good. Padres are using their ability to win game as the door prize, and fans in San Diego love it. You know, I said this before, and I'll say it again. The Padres-Dodgers race will come down to the final week of the season. Now, at the time that I'm doing this show, the Padres went into a very competitive St. Louis Cardinals, um, went out to Bush Stadium to take them on for three games. And the Cardinals, although they had the hands full, swept the Padres. Now, to the Padres' credit, it is June. And this is the first time the Padres... First of all, it's the first time that they've lost two in a row. It's the first time they got swept at all this year. So this Padres team is looking pretty sharp. Now, on to talk about someone that is built for the long haul. And that person is one of our sponsors, Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis. Paul Sorrentino protects those of you that do the hiring and own your own business, company, or corporation, he keeps frivolous lawsuits from wasting your time, and he will protect your best interest. Paul Sorrentino of Jackson Lewis can be reached at 619-573-4900 and ask for the employer lawyer, Paul Sorrentino, and tell him that you heard about him on JV to the Pros. I've known Paul Sorrentino for three decades, and he's one of those lawyers that has integrity and a conscience unlike those lawyers that take these weak, uncalled-for lawsuits in the hopes that someone will pay them to go away. Well, Paul Sorrentino is not paying anyone for anything unless they've earned it. It's your business. Let Paul Sorrentino protect it while you keep working and doing the right thing. Paul Sorrentino, 619 573 4900 and let him take care of it he's paul sorrentino it's what he does now usually at this point in the show i talk about some some funny or crazy news story but this week i'd like to talk to you about a news story that that you're not going to hear from most news outlets this story is about another mass shooting another mass shooting that didn't happen this time yeah i got your attention Listen to this. A woman with a concealed weapon in Charleston, West Virginia, who was legally carrying her weapon at a graduation party in which Dennis Butler was warned about speeding through a neighborhood with children playing in the streets, decided to seek vengeance on those that didn't like him driving recklessly through a residential neighborhood and decided to go home and get his AR-15 style firearm and return to that graduation party to shoot everyone in, in sight. Well, Dennis Butler's plans would be diverted as once Butler began firing into the crowd at an apartment complex, this woman carrying a legally purchased gun in which she was legally allowed to conceal her weapon, opened fire on Dennis Butler as soon as he began shooting, and she killed him immediately. Police said that, amazingly enough, Butler didn't shoot even one person after he began firing, but was killed by this law-abiding citizen carrying a firearm. Now, this story is not being shared by the mainstream media because this story doesn't fit their narrative. Had Butler succeeded 
it would have been headline news across the country. But because carrying a gun legally and using that weapon the way it was meant to be used and stopping another mass shooting isn't what news outlets want to report, all I have to say is rest in hell, Dennis Butler. And I praise this woman for doing the right thing at the right time. I'd also like to take a few minutes to express our condolences for Ray Liotta's family. Ray Liotta passed away in his sleep this week while shooting a, a film in the Dominican Republic. Although Ray Liotta came to celebrity fame in 1990 for portraying Henry Hill in that mega hit, mega hit film, Goodfellas, many have gotten caught up in the success of, of Goodfellas more than being realistic about Ray's actual portrayal of Henry Hill in the film. Henry Hill was a, a hardcore Brooklyn native with that, you know, with that distinct Brooklyn accent. Ray, being from the Chicago area, had a very Chicago, ac Chicago accent. And he didn't lose that accent for this road for this role as it exemplified in in the very first line of the film ever since i can remember i wanted to be a gangster oh come on you know give me a break <sighs> as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster <laughs> gangster was better than being president of the United States. Even before I first wandered into the cab stand for an after-school job, I knew I wanted to be a part of them. It was there that I knew that I belonged. And to me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They double-parked in front of a hydrant and nobody ever gave them a ticket. I can tell you Nobody born in Brooklyn who grew up in Brooklyn, I was born in Brooklyn, nobody from Brooklyn sounds like that. Now, you want to talk about the south side of Chicago, the north side? Yeah, maybe. But that, that, is, that is not a Brooklyn accent. Anyway, it's just, it's, not, it's just not the way those of us from Brooklyn sound. It's just not. I think... Scorsese has made a lot of extremely great films, and and he's one of the greatest filmmaking storytellers ever. But in this case, Scorsese missed the mark by casting Ray Liotta in the role of Henry Hill and not having him work on his on his dialect. That said, I can overlook that error of his accent in Goodfellas because Ray Liotta had a magnificent career over a 30, 30 year span and has created some very memorable characters along the way for instance rape ray's portrayal of an obsessed police officer in unlawful entry in which ray plays a cop who has a massive infatuation with kurt russell's wife and goes to extreme measures to separate the two and make her available to him this film was as uncomfortable as the kurt russell film breakdown which frankly gave me nightmares Ray also had a, a, a very funny side to him, as shown in films like Wild Hogs with John Travolta, which it was totally a tongue-in-cheek type of film. But then Ray was cast to play Shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams, and that was early on in his career. That was actually before Goodfellas. And once again, I thought this was poor casting, as Shoeless Joe Jackson was known for being a great Southpaw, a great lefty, and Ray is a dominant right-handed person which i thought was very a very important factor in portraying shoeless joe for the historical relevance i gotta figure ray had some great representation a great agent to cast him and get him cast in roles like henry hill or shoeless joe i'm not saying ray wasn't a good actor ray was a very good actor but not one of the greats he was enjoyable and memorable in the, in the roles he took but some of these roles were not meant for Ray to play. 
Also, Ray Liotta was only 67 with a long history of heavy smoking all day on sets and at home. His efforts to quit smoking landed him as a spokesperson for Shantex with the qualifier of Shantex that might get you to stop smoking, but also might, you know, they, there was a qualifier in the commercial where it'd say, okay, take Shantex, you can stop smoking. Um, but Shantex might also give you suicidal thoughts, extreme anger, unpredictable fits of fury, and cause you to be a danger to anyone around you, but you won't have a cigarette in your hand when the cops come to arrest you. <laughs> I'm having some fun at Shantex expense, but these suggested medicines with the, you know, the, the, the after effects, you know, um, it might get you to live without cigarettes in <laughs> in part because Shantex, you know, but, you know, you might also, um, you might also live without cigarettes because they don't allow cigarettes in jail. You know, you may do something that'll get you thrown in jail. Getting back to Ray Liotta and his career, I can say as an actor myself, Ray had a wonderfully fulfilling career with plenty of the perks actors dream of along the way. Ray Liotta left his mark on our industry without a doubt, and he will be missed. And yes, he's gone way too soon. You know, I mean, 67 years old. You know, at 67 years old, you should be at the 60% point of your life. 67 is just too young to be gone. Ray Liotta, thank you for all you did in your short life. And we in the industry do thank you very much for all the roles you gave us. Now, staying with the showbiz theme, having worked on and being in the Top Gun sequel, Top Gun 2 Maverick, I have to say a, a, a couple of things about this film. First and foremost, this film is a hot ride. Um, this is speed, fun, excitement, exhilaration, thrills, danger, sexy, and a storyline that is totally believable. The characters were strong and well-played, uh, along with drawing the audience into the film to the point where the full house in the theater in which I saw the film, they were applauding, they were cheering, they were yelling out support for Tom Cruise as the movie was playing. I mean, this film was a rush of living on the razor's edge. I mean, and you're living on the razor's edge at Mach 3. You can feel the G-forces in the theater as it was shot in a way that makes you feel like you, the audience member, are actually a part of what's going on in the film. It feels like you're in the cockpit. At the box office, Top Gun 2 killed it. There were mini and max plexes of 14 and 18 screens in which Top Gun 2 was showing in, in 10 of the screens. Top Gun 2 brought in an estimated $156 million for a three-day Memorial Day weekend, which, which is a record for any weekend for any movie ever. The next biggest opening for a film, for a Tom Cruise film, well, the next biggest opening for a Tom Cruise film was Top Gun, the original. The original Top Gun in 1986 made $9 million its first weekend with a total box office gross of $357 million. And that's the entire run. It made $357 million. Yeah, ticket prices were much lower then, so it's less money. But this Top Gun made $156 million in three days. I think it will eclipse the original box office money, of course. I predict that this Top Gun will make somewhere around $900 million by the end of the summer. It's a great film. It's a fun ride. It's getting people back into the theater. It'll make you feel like you've been on a treadmill by the time you leave the theater. That I mean, it just feels like you've just been on this run. I suggest... You see it in the theater as it is a big screen movie that it just won't be the same if you watch it on your smart TV. Now, Tom Cruise has done it again. Oh, by the way, 
I met and got to speak with Tom Cruise on set. First thing I'd like to say is he's much taller than people think he is. I mean, I'm just over six foot, and he's only about two and a half inches shorter than I am. Also, Cruise is in great shape physically. I mean, I guess he's in great shape physically, and now with the success of this movie, he's in great shape financially. <laughs> Congratulations to Tom Cruise and Paramount for the biggest hit film of 2022. I think this film will have people returning to the theater again and again, as they did to see movies like Titanic or Grease or Pirates of the Caribbean. I enjoyed this film a ton, and I, I felt like I'd been on a roller coaster for about an hour by the time I left the theater. I mean, just just check it out. Now, I know that we posted pictures with myself and uh, I think John Hamm and Rick Rosovich and uh, Tom Skerritt from the set of Top Gun 2. Um, Tom Skerritt is not in the movie at all. He's completely edited out. So you won't see Tom Skerritt, but you will see um, Val Kilmer. You will see John Hamm. You will, you'll see um, yeah, Ed Harris is in this. It's, a, it's just a really good film. You'll like it. Now, staying with the Hollywood theme for just one more quick minute. Because the show was delayed a day, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial wrapped up. And the <laughs> acting that Amber Heard did on the stand shows why most people don't regard her as an actress. She's more as an actress-ish. Her testimony was clearly choreographed and scripted, while Johnny came across as the must, much more genuine of the two knuckleheads. Depp was awarded $10 million, while Amber heard, at least she heard, she was awarded $2 million, which that balance bankrupts heard as her stalled career comes to a halt. I don't think I don't think Amber Heard had anything of a career. I, I'm tell you the truth. I'm just glad this craziness is over, and and we we no longer have to hear about how Amber Heard did a number two in the bed she shares with Johnny, in the hopes that he'd jump into bed without checking the sheets first, and 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 then you know when he realized that you know this was in the bed, and she she blamed the dog for pooping in the bed and said the dog even pulled the covers back up over the mess. You know, these are really wealthy, famous people practicing insanity on a regular basis in their home. Well, that whole circus is over and Johnny Depp prevailed. Now, this week, I thought Florida a week off from being idiots. Well, I was wrong. Now, I play disc golf, or as those of you that play call it frisbee golf. Well, these frisbee golf courses are all over the country. Well, luckily for this show, these courses are in Florida. <laughs> you can probably guess where I'm going here. Well, just a little background on playing frisbee golf. Sometimes you throw your disc and it ends up in a canyon or a small forest of trees, which is usually part of the course, which adds to the challenge of the game. That said, I once made a one in a billion shot in which my disc sailed to the left and went directly into an old water pipeline that was abandoned many years ago by the city of San Diego. And the course was actually built around this pipeline that they just left there. So my disc, thrown with great speed, went exactly into this pipeline, which is about 40 yards long before it disappears into the ground. Well, my disc flew into this pipe at a high rate, at a perfect angle, and went into this water pipeline about as far as it could go. Well, the pipeline is about two and a half feet in diameter. And it's very dark inside. Now, I looked inside the pipe and I, quote unquote, thought I could see my disc. 
because it was orange. And I wanted to be able to see it, so I did the smartest thing I can think of. And I got one of my group that I was playing with to be prepared to pull me out by my legs if I got stuck in the pipe trying to retrieve my disc. Well, my disc was about five feet deep in this pipe, and it wasn't until I got fully inside the pipe. And I did need help getting out of there, but I managed to reach my disc, which was actually about seven and a half feet inside the pipe. Well, it's a good thing I got long arms. <laughs> so I'm in there when it occurs to me that this would be a great place for rats and spiders, etc., to call home. So this wasn't really a thought out plan. You know, I just wanted my driver disc back. Yes, in disc golf, there are drivers, middle distance discs, distance discs, and putters. They all travel dis differently. That said, I didn't want to lose my favorite driver. I say favorite because disc golfers have at least 10 or 20 discs in their golf bag. Yes. We have disc golf bags with water bottle holders and even cooler areas in the bag to keep your drink cool. By the way, those drinks that we're keeping cool, they aren't always water or Gatorade. Okay. Anyway, now let's get to the idiot in the state of Florida. This week, a Florida man, just saying Florida, makes me start to laugh a florida man playing frisbee golf where they have gators all over the place to the point where people have had to have walls built around their pools so they don't go out for a midnight swim and find themselves swimming with an alligator as those gators are everywhere well when i lived in florida for a very short time I remember that the gym that I worked out in uh, had an outside area in the back of the gym for outdoor training. Problem was, the outdoor area was next to a large pond with signs in the water that stated to be aware of gators. I used to watch birds land on the tops of those signs only to have gators pop up from the water and just eat them. So if you live in Florida, you're well aware of the threat of gators. Now, let's get to this guy in Florida playing frisbee golf. This guy is playing frisbee golf on a course next to a lake that failed to post any signs of the threat of gators. Like you need signs. You're in Florida. You don't the gators are everywhere. Anyway, this guy decides to go into the no signs posted lake to look for lost discs from other frisbee golfers who knew better than to go into the lake looking for a disc that landed in the water. This guy had this great idea to find the lost discs and sell them online. Long story short, Florida is packed with idiots and all the police found was this guy's arm. So I thought let me do some investigative journalism. And I called the sheriff's office in Florida to see if that arm was holding one of those lost Frisbee discs. Well, they, they hung up on me. Thank you, Florida. <laughs> Florida did not disappoint this week, but we've got some Florida stories for next week. I can tell you that. And the stories are coming in faster than I can report them. That is Season 4, Episode 20 of JV to the Pros. I'm Jack Vecchio, and I'd like to thank our sponsors, Rob Van Dam's CBD Oil, that will make you feel like you can fly a fighter jet or make your body feel like it's moving at Mach 3. And I'd like to thank Paul Sorrentino, the employer lawyer that moves your case along at fighter jet speed and blows by the other lawyers like Tom Cruise did in Top Gun 2. I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for your feedback and your compliments on our Facebook page, JV to the Pros. We're also on Instagram at JV to the Pros, and you can email us at JV to the Pros at gmail.com.
and we're just about on every platform and we're easy to find on your Alexa or Google. I'd like to thank producer Karen, the queen of Queens, New York, for doing all the post-production work after I get done having my fun broadcasting the show. You know, if you ever wondered how all those pictures get on our Facebook page, JV to the Pros, you can thank producer Karen, the queen of Queens, New York. She's, she's like this mystery person that magically puts the show together in the wee hours of the night when nobody's around, then then disappears into the night, never to be seen again until the next episode needs to be tailored for your listening pleasure. That's our show. Stay safe and healthy until we connect again as I look forward to our next installment of JV to the Pros. Take care, guys. Good night. And go Rangers! That's how the scoring went in game one. And we are out. Ha <laughs> ha!